want to start out with a story, and I can't say, I don't know if this is actually a true story, but I find this story amazing anyways, okay? Way back in the winter of like 1941, 1942, Pearl Harbor, the attack in Pearl Harbor had just happened, and Winston Churchill was visiting uh, FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt, at the White House, okay? The story goes, they're there, they're talking about, hey, let's create a group of nations and leaders after the war that would pursue world peace. And so they're having this conversation and, and figuring it out, and, and they're, they go off in their separate directions, and, and uh, FDR's thinking about it, and he comes with this great idea. He says, I know what we can call this group. We'll call them the United Nations. And so FDR gets so excited about this idea that he goes over and he walks into Churchill's room. Now, if you know anything about history, Churchill is famous for taking these long baths. Like that was his thing. And so here comes, here comes FDR barging into Churchill's room. And Churchill had just got out of the bath and he is buck naked. Buck naked in front of FDR. And FDR kind of like, oh, sorry, sorry. And Churchill says, you see, Mr. President, the Prime Minister of Great Britain has nothing to hide from the United States. <laughs> I will say I admire Churchill. Not, not because I want to stand in front of naked in front of a bunch of people, but I love, I love the idea that he could just be out there. He could just put himself out there and say, this is me. I have nothing to hide. I, ha I have no shame. I have nothing to be embarrassed about. This is just me and who I am. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how free it would be to feel like that? Free of shame, embarrassment, anything to hide. We've been in this series for this past month, uh, a series that we call it The Good Life. And this is the right time for us to have these conversations because beginning of the year, we begin to make resolutions and goals and plans because we want to have more of the good life in this next upcoming year. And so this series is a reminder to us that as we think and make plans for more of the good life this year, that the good life doesn't come from something that we create on our own. The good life is something that is given to us by God. And so as we make decisions and choices and resolutions for the good life, we want to make sure we're inviting God's wisdom and God's plans into our resolutions and our decisions for this upcoming year. And so just as we've kind of been through this series, if you remember a couple of the conversations we've had, it's been God's purpose over my desire, surrender over control, discipline over regret, truth over opinion. Which of those has been your favorite? I mean, as you think about what you've heard this past month, uh, God's purpose over my desire, uh, surrender over control, discipline over regret, truth over opinion. And I'll be honest, as I think about this series the last month, today, today's message is my favorite. Today's message is choosing healing over hiding. Choosing healing over hiding. And this is my favorite one because this speaks so deep to where I am at. Listen, I want us to understand that God wants us to experience healing. God wants to heal us in, in the deepest parts of our souls. Those deep wounds that you and I carry, those things that we bury deep down inside, God wants to heal those. God wants to give us healing over our greatest regrets. God wants to give us healing over our greatest sins and our greatest mistakes. God wants to give us healing over the things that have done, been done to us, that have caused us shame and hurt and pain. 
God wants to give us a healing that honestly many of us never thought was actually possible for the things that we have been through. And so the question is, why don't more of us experience healing? Why don't we have the healing from the things that have happened to us? And I think the problem is, is because our human nature, our tendency is to hide. Our tendency is when we have hurts and we make mistakes and we deal with pain and we have shame, when things get hard, we bottle things up. We bottle things up and say, well, no, I can't talk about this. I can't go there. I can't deal with this. And so we take areas of our life and we say, this area is closed. I'm not going there and no one else is going to go there either. And we essentially are never going to find healing because we take those hard things and we hide them away. We tuck them away and say, nope, I'm not going to deal with this. I can't deal with it. So what I want to ask you today, I want to ask you that you would be willing to open up the secret parts of your life. Open up the deep hurts that you've experienced and allow God to begin to heal some of those hard parts. Where are you hiding from? What are you hiding deep down? Let's be willing to open those things up and allow God to begin to heal. Question they have to start with is where did this idea of hiding come from? When did we start hiding those hurtful things in our life? And actually, it starts from the very beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we read things like this. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. And God looked at the light, and what did God call the light? God called it good. God looked at the light, and God said, this is good. Next, we read things like God created apple trees for the Yakima Valley, and God created noble fir trees, so we have something to put up at Christmas time, and God created flowers for us to put the Yakima Arboretum, and God looked at all of those things, and what did he call that? He called it good. You guys are getting this. That's good, okay? Then, God creates things like clouds and stars and the moon and the sun and he creates these things, and what does God call that? He calls it good. And then God creates some really cool creatures in the ocean, you know, like the whales and the dolphins. And then God, thinking about us, he creates for us ribeyes and cows. And he, and he creates man's best friend and gives us dogs. And then God also creates like the pests. And he makes spiders and snakes and cats and all these pest things. And God creates all these things. And what does God say this is? God says it is. And then God creates man and woman. He creates male and female. And he says, I'm going to create them in the image of God, in my image. And what, what's amazing about this is, is here, God is saying, I'm going to show you my image. I'm going to show you what I'm like. I'm going to show you who I am. And I'm going to show you what I'm like through man and woman. Through their distinctiveness. Through the fact that they don't have to be the same. That somehow, the uniqueness of male and female, it shows us who God is. And so God creates man and woman and what does he say now? After he creates man and woman, God says it is very good. It's now very good. Not just good, 
Now it is very good. And so there's a creation story. And at the summary of the creation story, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, maybe my life verse, it says that the man and woman were both naked and not ashamed. And that is every man's dream, right? Right there. But I want you, I want you to think about that idea for just a moment. Think about the ideal that God created for us. Think about what God said is very good. That we would be naked and we would have no shame. That we would have no embarrassment. That we would have nothing to, to fear, nothing to worry about. No, no, no anxiety over what if this gets found out. That is the ideal that God created for us. Imagine this. Imagine, imagine Adam and Eve on their wedding day. And can you picture Adam? Adam is getting ready for, for the ceremony. He's standing in front of the mirror. He's in the mirror right in front of him. And not once, not once does Adam look and say, man, what happened to this thing right here? Maybe I could get a Sharpie and draw a new six-pack right there, right? Not, not once, not once does Adam look at the mirror and worry, well, man, I, I hope she respects the work I do. I hope it is enough to provide for her. Not once does, does Adam look in the mirror and worry, well, I hope she can't run through the thoughts going through my mind. I hope she can't read my mind because I'd be really scared if she did that. Not once does Adam look in that mirror and think, man, I sure hope those skeletons in my closet don't come tumbling out. And then Eve, imagine Eve. There's Eve on her wedding day getting ready, looking in the mirror. Not once does Eve think, you know what? I sure don't look like the ones in the magazines. Not once does Eve worry and think, you know what? I hope, I hope what I contribute to society and how I contribute to the home, I hope that's valued. I hope people don't abuse me, but they value what I contribute. Not once does Eve think, you know what? I should probably get a little bit of work done here. Not once, not once does Eve begin to worry and think, you know what, I hope these wounds that I carry from the past, I, don't, they ha I hope they don't have an effect on this relationship. Can you imagine what life would be like if we could stand before the mirror like that? You know what that is? That is freedom. That is, is freedom. That is, that is the way that God created things to be. That we would stand in the mirror completely naked and unashamed. That we would have no fear or anxiety or worry. That we would just be, this is who I am. I don't have to worry about all these other things. But the story goes, is here's what God creates. It's very good. And then comes Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, Satan shows up and takes the form of a cat uh, no, it takes the form of a serpent. Sorry, sorry. I get those mixed up sometimes. <laughs> Satan shows up and he attacks God at the very point of everything being very good. And the serpent comes up to Adam and Eve and says to Eve, listen, is God, is God really good? Is God really good or is God holding out from you? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, A woman sees that the tree was good for food, 
sees that it was a delight to her eyes, sees that the, the tree was desirable to make one wise. And it says she takes a fruit and she eats of it. And then she takes that fruit and gives it to her husband, who's just sitting there watching all this happening. Gives it to her husband, and he takes and he eats of the fruit as well. In verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made the first pair of Levi jeans. Right there, that's where they came from. Do you, do you, see, do you see what happened? You've got Adam and Eve naked and unashamed. You've got Adam and Eve in freedom. And what was beautiful and what was very good that was created by God, now their his sin entered the world, and now they are covering. Now they are hiding from each other. And not only are they hiding from one another, verse 8 says, They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman, they hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. And God calls out and says, man, says, says, Adam, where are you? And Adam replies, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So here's Adam and Eve. And the moment that sin, the moment they sin against the God, the very first thing they experience, boom, they're hiding. As soon as sin enters the world, boom, they're, they're hiding from God. They're, they're naked and they're feeling shame. Shame has a number of, of definitions. There's a lot of ways you can define it. Here's the way I like to dis, d- define shame. Shame is feeling less than. Shame is saying, if this is what the expectation is, I don't feel like I meet that expectation, so I feel just a little bit less than. Probably hits most of us in some level. Say, so, well, why would, why would Adam and Eve, why would they feel shame? Why would they feel less than? Because at that moment... That's exactly what they were. That they had this relationship with each other. That they were naked and unashamed. There was complete intimacy between Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes sin. And the sin comes and now they've got to cover and hide. They had this beautiful relationship with God where they're naked and unashamed from God. There's this intimacy they have with God. And then sin enters the story. And boom, now they're hiding, and they're running, and they're afraid. Their relationship with each other and their relationship with God was less than the way that God had intended it to be. That this beautiful image that God had created, this thing that God said, this is very good, that we would be naked and unashamed, that the very beautiful thing that God created has now been twisted and cracked and defaced and less than what God had intended. See how the story plays out? Sin enters in the world, and the first response, when we begin to feel shame, when we begin to feel less than, like we don't measure up, the first thing we do is we get a cover. We begin to, to hide. Reality is, sin has affected every one of us. We all stand guilty before God. We all stand exposed and and, and susceptible to to one another. We are our weak and sinful and damaged people living in a very dangerous world. And we find ourselves 
living under God's righteous judgment, we find ourselves exposed to other sinners' sinful judgment and rejection of us. We find ourselves wide open to the condemning words of our enemy, Satan. That's Adam and Eve. But let's bring this into you and me. And it's going to require a little bit of vulnerability on our part. What is it that you're hiding? What is the the shame in your life? What is the, the hurt you've experienced? What is the pain that you carry? Let's just be honest. How many of us have deep, deep wounds deep down inside that still are so painful to us? How many of us have these sins that we've committed that we have such regret over? How many of us have sins that have been committed against us that we still feel that incredible shame and pain over? And how many of us have these deep wounds that we do whatever we can to cover them up? I don't want to go there. I don't want to open that up. That's off limits. How many of us have those deep places in our life that we won't tell anyone else about? How many of us have that spot in our life when someone begins to pry and someone begins to touch, we cringe, we back away. No, we're not going to go there. I'm not opening that. How many of us have friends that when they begin to peel back the layers and find that pain and that hurt, we're like, nope, we're stopping right here. Or we'll break off the friendship because there's no way I'm going to open myself up to that pain again. Listen, what is that for you? What part of your life are you hiding? Are you covering up? Are you saying, I'm not going to go there? I'm not going to deal with that? Another way this plays out is sometimes we have this, oftentimes we have this little fire that burns inside of us. That we wonder, we wonder if we're going to be exposed in some way. We, we, we worry, maybe it's because of other people's opinions, and we want to appear like we're better than we really are. We want to appear, look, I'm strong, and I'm, I'm capable, and I'm, I'm whatever. And there's this little fire inside of us that wonders, man, I, I hope I don't get exposed for not being all that people think I am. In fact, I remember when I first started teaching the Bible. I was 22 years old. I was a kid. I was a baby. And I was teaching this adult Sunday school class. And every time I would start prepping to teach this adult Sunday school class, I would call my mentor and I'd be like, dude, is this right? Like, like am I teaching, the, like, am I, is my theology right here? Like, like do I, am I teaching, am I teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching? Because I had this fear, terrible fear that I would be exposed I have this fear that what if people don't realize I don't know half of what I think I do? I had this fear that what if my pastor and what if others realize I wasn't as competent as they thought I was? Listen, what is it for you? What are you afraid of being exposed about? About not being good enough? About being less than what people expect of you? What are you afraid to be exposed about? And what so many of us do, and we get really good at hiding. Yeah, Adam and Eve, like, maybe we're not going to f- sew fig leaves together, make fig leaf underwear, and, and hide behind the bushes. 
But we use our lives, hide behind our life, hide behind our job, hide behind our, our money. We do whatever we can to cover up and make things look better than they really are. We even use religion. Look how religious I am. Using religion to cover up the pain and the hurt and the shame and the sin and those things deep down. When we begin to feel vulnerable, we begin to feel shame. Rather than coming out with it, we hide it. We put on a mask. We walk into church and we put on a mask and we smile and say everything's really good. And we just bottle those things up deeper and deeper and deeper. We, we hide behind our wit and our sarcasm. We cover up the shame, the hurt, because it's just too hard to deal with. Right? There's, it's not just in our day and age. You see this in the Bible. In the Bible, you see these stories, the same thing happening in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, there's a story about a woman whose life was a complete wreck. She had been through five marriages. And finally, she's like, I'm done getting married. I'm just going to start living with guys. She's living with the sixth man. And she came to the well in the middle of the day under the hot sun, a time when nobody else would come. She wants to get water alone because she wanted to hide from the comments and the whispers and the condemning looks from everyone around her because of the way that she lived. That shame drew her to hide. Second Samuel, a story of a powerful man, a powerful man who abuses his power to sleep with another man's wife. And then, oops, finds out she's pregnant. And out of fear of, of his wickedness being exposed, out of fear of his sin being made known, this man goes to this elaborate cover-up that ends up in murder because of shame. Luke chapter 8, there's a woman who's suffering with, with a terrible hemorrhage. She's been suffering this for 12 years. 12 years! This woman has been unclean. 12 years, this woman has been uncomfortable, and because of this, 12 years, she has been uh, uncomforted. She's been unwelcomed. 12 years of this. And she looks around, and she sees this Jesus. She sees Jesus healing other people, and she begins to wonder, man, you think, you think Jesus could do this for me? You think Jesus could heal me after all these years? But there's no way she could ask in front of the crowd. There's no way she could bring her shame in front of other people and ask in front of them. So she hides in obscurity and touches just the fringe of Jesus' robe. Because she can't be out in public. What you and I hide completely prevents God from healing those things that we bury deep down, those pains, those hurts, that shame, when we hide those things and put a mask on them and, and try and bury them deep down, we never experience healing. There will never be wholeness. We will never be able to be like Churchill and be naked and unashamed because we continue to hide those things and they will never be healed. But here's the wonderful thing. Is God provides a way for us to experience healing. 
He provides a way for us to experience healing through the suffering of Jesus. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he said, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so easily to us. Listen to this. That means that you've got to be able to name your sin. You've got to be able to, to call out and identify that shame, that pain, that hurt. You've got to be able to bring that out. So he says, he says uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings, clings to us. Let us run with endurance the race before us, looking to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. What is... What is the joy that Jesus is talking about? What is the joy that's set before him? I think the joy is you and I. I think the joy is you and I. The joy for Jesus is restoring us into a right relationship with God. The joy for Jesus is taking away anything that would make us feel less than. The joy for Jesus is saying to you and to me, you can be forgiven. You are loved. You can be healed. And so it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And listen to this, despising the shame. That for the joy of you and I, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That for Jesus, shame was not going to keep him from loving you. For Jesus, Shame was not going to keep him from forgiving you and healing you and making us whole. Think about this. Think about the shame of the cross. Think about everything that went up to the cross and all the shame that was associated with it. Jesus, as he's going to the cross, he experienced the shame of betrayal. We know this happened. Judas, who's one of Jesus' disciples, he's one of his best friends, his closest friends. Judas betrays Jesus and sells him out for 30 pieces of silver to the Roman officials. Oh, he knows the shame of betrayal. What about the shame of arrest? How many of you have ever been arrested? You don't need to raise your hand. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever gotten a, a speeding ticket? How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket, right? The worst thing about getting a speeding ticket or getting pulled over is you're pulled over on the side of the road and someone you know drives right past you, right? Like, that is embarrassing. That's, that's worsening. It's terrible. Well, imagine Jesus getting arrested. The shame that comes from getting arrested. Jesus went through the shame of an interrogation. Where you've got Ananias, the high priest, and Pilate, the governor. They're, they're pressing in on Jesus. They're interrogating him. There's a shame associated with that. Jesus Going through the cross, he suffered the shame of being denied and being abandoned, right? We think about this. Jesus, while he's being interrogated, Peter, one of his closest friends, three times denies even knowing Jesus. No, I'm not one of his followers. Nope. Jesus, in his greatest time of need, all his disciples, where do they go? They're gone. They flee in fear, leaving Jesus all alone. Yeah, he knows the shame of being abandoned, of being denied. Jesus knew the shame of being beaten and whipped. 
Again, the soldiers, they're whipping him. The soldiers take that, that crown of thorns and, and they press it down into his head. Some reality is I know that some of us in this room, I know that we've got the shame that we've had to endure deep down in our heart because we've experienced abuse and no fault of our own. That there's this shame that is associated because of the abuse that we've suffered by the hands of someone else. Yep, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows the shame of being mocked, the shame of being slapped. That while Jesus is there with the soldiers, the soldiers are mocking him, shouting, Jesus, you're the king of the Jews. Get yourself out of this, Jesus. If you're so special... And then the soldiers are slapping Jesus. Is there, any, is there anything more disrespectful than a slap in the face? Like, it's pretty bad. Jesus suffered the shame of being rejected by the mobs. The wall Jesus there, the crowds, all the people gather together, and all the people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He feels the weight of the crowds completely rejecting and turning on him. In our day and age, maybe you know the idea of, of the social media mobs. Where how quickly the social media, uh, as we long for affirmation, so many hateful things can be said on the interweb. And we begin to feel, man, the whole world's turned against me because of what's being said online. And it's Jesus for the joy set before him for you and I, for the privilege of saying, listen, you can be healed. Listen, you are loved. Listen, you are forgiven. For the joy set before him, Jesus was not going to allow the shame to keep him from loving us, to keep him from forgiving and redeeming and healing us and for making us whole, for making us no longer feel like we are less than. Shame wasn't going to stop him. The cross wasn't going to stop, and he was going to go to every length to proclaim to you, you can be healed today. And here's Jesus speaking a word of love, speaking a word of healing to us, that whatever makes you feel less than, God can forgive you because the shame of Jesus' sufferings. You know that mistake that still brings you shame, still brings you embarrassment, that you can't talk to anyone about? Listen, that's nothing compared to the sufferings of Jesus. That thing that happened to you as a child that has shaped your life doesn't compare to the sufferings of Jesus. That time you blew up your life, screwed everything up, and now the world treats you like a loser and an outcast still does not compare to the sufferings of Jesus. There is a power through the, the shame and the suffering of Jesus in that his suffering, it brings us healing. Through his suffering, through what he accomplished on the cross, it brings us healing. It makes us whole. Where we no longer have to feel the shame. We no longer have to feel less than because of what he's done in our place. The question becomes, all right, how do I experience that healing? 
Now I want to just want to show you something. I want to show you the scar on my arm right here. I've got this four-inch scar. I think I was, we were newlyweds. I worked uh, Ace Hardware. I drove a forklift. And uh, one night, I had my box knife, and I'm working, and my box knife slipped. And I slipped this four-inch cut in my arm. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, oh, gosh, this is bad. But I don't want to go and tell anybody. I don't want to go to the hospital. So I took some paper towels. And, I, and, I, and it, I mean, it was goozing out, like, not just blood. It was some weird fluids that were coming out of it. It was weird. And, I, and I'm putting these paper towels over, and I take some duct tape. And I'm duct taping this thing. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to keep working. And every time my arm moves, I cringe in pain. And I have to change the paper towel a couple of times. And every time it gets bumped, I'm like, oh. It, it, and I'm, I'm gritting my teeth. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to get through this. How many of us have wounds like that? Spiritual wounds. Emotional wounds. That we're just covering up. We're trying to hide. We don't want anyone to see. It's too painful. It's too personal. I'm afraid to let it out. I'm afraid to open it up. You know what? Covering my arm, it didn't do anything to help the hurt. You know what happens when we don't get help? You know what happens if I would have left that? It would have gotten infected. It would have just continued to get worse. This is why sometimes we look at some of our friends in their 30s and 40s and their 50s, and suddenly their life just blows up. We're like, whoa, what happened? Why did their life all of a sudden blow up? Because they didn't deal with something that happened to them years and years and years ago. And that thing, it, 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 it got infected, it rears an ugly head, it festered, and it blows up and we're all wondering what happened. Because that thing wasn't dealt with way back then. Towards the end of my shift, I decided I need to do something. I need to seek healing for my arm. So I go find my boss and he's like, what the heck? So I go straight to the hospital, and I go to the hospital, you know the first thing, you know the first thing a doctor is going to do with a wound like that? He's going to uncover it, he's going to take that terrible poison called hydrogen peroxide, that terrible stuff, he's going to start cleaning it, he's going to start cleaning it. To find healing, these things have to be uncovered, and we have to allow the good doctor, to clean and to bring healing. Personal healing happens when we are willing to uncover those things and allow God to begin to clean and fix what's gone wrong. And until we stop hiding and faking and putting a mask on, and pretending that everything is all right, until we stop hiding, we will never experience the healing that God offers. Question is, are you willing to stop hiding? I know we have this cute saying, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. God does. Question is, are you going to bring that out? I'll tell you what this looks like for me. This is where I've got to wrestle with in my own life as I think about the things that I've 
experience that I bottle up. I'm terrible about this. This is why this is my favorite message, because it, it reaches me where I'm at deep down. To bring these things out is you gather with a small group of people that you love, people that you trust. And like Hebrews said, you, you confess it. You, you name that thing. You bring that thing out. You say, here's my sin. Here's my shame. Here's my hurt. Here's my difficulty. And you share that thing. And listen, maybe for you, maybe you need to go beyond a small group of people you love. Maybe you need to go see a counselor. Man, let me, let me get this thing out. Let me, let me uncover this thing. Let me pull back the layers. And listen, you don't just share for the sake of sharing. You share with people who will point you back to Jesus, who will point you back to his suffering, to his healing. Listen, I'll tell you what. At least for me, that's hard. Like, I, I, I'm scared to death about that. Makes me feel completely naked and vulnerable. For you to, to open these things up and peel back the layers, listen, you're going to have to learn to trust God on a whole different level. You're going to have to learn how to trust other people. But the joy is when we uncover the wound and allow God to begin to clean that thing out and to heal it, there is freedom and healing that is found when we do that. If we allow that, we can become people like Adam and Eve who are naked and unashamed, who are able to look in the mirror and not worry about my skeletons falling out, not, not worry if I'll be exposed for not being all that I claim to be. That there's freedom in that. You know what, happened when a you know what happens when a wound finds healing? You get these really cool scars like mine right here. Think about the difference between a wound and a scar. A wound, man, it hurts. It's sensitive. It's painful. When it gets touched, you cringe in pain. But a scar? A scar doesn't hurt anymore. A scar, you don't have to hide anymore. A scar, a scar usually tells a story, right? Maybe it's just a dude thing. But you see a guy with a scar and you're like, tell me the story. They're like, hey, I got this great story, or I'm going to tell you a really dumb story because it was a really dumb thing I did. But either way, there's usually a story behind it. That when our wound becomes a scar, it has a story for us to tell. A story of how good God is. A story of how God heals, of what God has done, of how God forgives, of how God redeems, of how God makes us whole and makes us complete. That God uses your healing. God uses your scar to tell a story. That you can tell others about who God is and what he's done. That they might also feel, find healing as well for themselves. You don't do that with a hiding. You don't get to tell others about God healing when you are hiding. Think about this. How many people are missing out on the healing that God offers because you've been unwilling to come out of hiding and get healing for yourself. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ 
And maybe you're a little bit like me. There are some areas that you've been hiding. Some areas that you've been bottling up. Some areas that you say, I just, I can't deal with this. I can't get this out there. I'm afraid of what people will think of me. Listen, remember what Jesus did for you. Despising the shame, he endured the cross so he can be your healer. So he can not just be your savior, but that he could be your healer and make you whole. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ, and I'm going to point you back right to what Jesus has said. Point you back to the gospel. To bring whatever it is out into the open. To call a pastor, the elders, some close friends. To call a counselor and say, listen, I just got to uncover this. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of putting on a mask. I'm tired of, of hiding. Let me bring this out into the open. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to name it. It may be hard, but healing is so worth it. That we would choose healing over hiding. Listen, if you are not a believer in Christ, and I want to point you to who Jesus is. That Jesus can make you whole. John chapter 1 says, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'm not asking you to become religious. I'm not asking you to follow a set of rules. I'm asking you to do what he just said. To receive him, to believe in his name. That we would be people who would choose healing over hiding. That we'd be able to stand up in front of one another and say there's no shame. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to fear. This is who I am. And I may have a, st- I may have a scar. I may have a story to tell. And God will use that scar. God will use that story to help someone else find the same healing that you have.